welcome to the Retro Blood. Can you believe this? It's Christmas Eve, and we got orders to bring in Santa Claus. Cindy, if uh, you don't go back to bed, Santa won't come. Welcome, everybody, to the Retro Blood Holiday Edition episodes. We are we are hitting off the holiday strong with some Santa killers, some uh, lights, some jolliness, some good old presents. We are giving you guys a lot of presents this holiday season because myself, James Klein, and J.A. Allison are doing one of the most iconic horror movies when it comes to Christmas themed horror movies of all time, we are talking all about Silent Night, Deadly Night 1. Very excited to talk about this show today. How you doing, John Allison? How's your holiday season kicking off so far? Man, it's fantastic. Holiday is kicking off. Uh, very few people know this, but Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Um, I love all the holiday beers, and I love eating all the holiday food, and just the uh, general vibe of the holidays i just love all of it um so so far it's been been fantastic you know you bring up a good point holiday beer so we can literally do like a whole episode just on beer alone because me and you are avid dark beer drinkers oh yeah and this season definitely has the darkest of the dark beers Mm -hmm. but maybe we'll do like a special episode one time just talking about beer brother yeah, we could just do a we could just do a whole podcast on beer. Yeah, so that might be uh, something in the works later on, maybe a bonus episode. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So, but this show is going to be jam packed. Everybody, we have a ton to talk about. Not only about the movie, which is going to be, I mean, the background on this movie is just crazy itself. All right, and then the actual movie is crazy itself as well. But we do have a uh, a crazy story that also happened around this time and rock history as well. Plus, we have a really fun um, Starcade car- card to talk about as well. So mm-hmm. let's just let's just jump right into let's uh, let's jump right into some gifts given to us to our boy Billy, our, our deadly presents. Let's open up these presents right now, and we're gonna our first present of the day is gonna be Starcade nineteen eighty four, and this Starcade was pretty sweet. So this one is in. Me and John's area of Greensboro, North Carolina. Now, uh, I'm still a little new to this area. Have you ever been to Greensboro uh, at this arena that they used to do? Is this one not even around anymore, this arena? No, it's it's there. Uh, I actually used to live in Greensboro many years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's the arena is still there, but they renovated it. So it looks completely different on the inside. And they built, like, an aquatic center... Um, 
beside it so the park the, the old parking lot is gone the building is still there and it looks the same from the outside i believe but it's completely renovated on the inside yeah I don't it's kind of they... like what they did with madison square garden a few years ago where they just changed they kind of changed the inside of it to be more modern and to fit more people um but this is you could call the greensboro coliseum in my opinion it's the uh, madison square garden of the south yes and they still run shows in Greensboro. Like we had like a SmackDown that just happened like a week ago in Greensboro. But I don't think they mm. use this arena too much for wrestling anymore. Am I correct? Mm. Mm. No, they don't. Not no. as much as they used to. Um, wrestling kind of skips over Greensboro now. Although I think it's starting to come back because AEW um, uh, is coming there and... Um, they uh, WWE comes there sometimes. The WWE ran their one of their Starcades there when oh. they brought Starcade back. Yeah, um, they ran a Starcade there on Thanksgiving night or night after Thanksgiving or something. Um, they still have lots of concerts there, though. I mean, it's a still a major operating arena. It's just that most people, most most people, just their routing just sends them by it anymore for some reason. Um, it's great though. I love Greensboro. Uh, maybe we'll check out a show there one day. Yeah, that'd be badass. We won't be in the Trans Am during this era. We'll be in the Mustang. But, you know, during this time, we'll be definitely be hitting up this card um, in our Trans Am. So this card happened um, a couple days after this movie of Son of Night, Deadly Night got released. Because Son of Night, Deadly Night was released on November 9th, 1984. But this card happened on November 22nd, 1984. So not exactly on, was it on Thanksgiving, this one? I believe so, yeah. I'd have to check, but I'm pretty sure this was Yeah, because Thanksgiving is always like, what, the, the second or third Thursday of the month? It's it's the third Thursday, yeah. Um, yeah, this is this was on Thanksgiving. Awesome. So, like our other show we talked about, Blood Rage, our special Thanksgiving episode where we went over the card of uh, Starcade and Survivor Series of 1987, we are continuing talking some more about Starcade because during this time in the 80s, um, every time it was around November, uh, Starcade was like probably like one of the biggest shows that Jim Crockett Promotions ran. So we'll be talking all about this show, but let's get into it. So our first contest of the evening is going to be Danny Brown. He defeated the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion Mike Davis to win the title, brother. Yeah. So I'm not really too familiar with these guys. Um... So junior wrestling back in this day wasn't like it is now, where we have a lot of luchadors flying, a lot of guys doing a lot of dives and shit. I'm pretty sure this is just like a quick match, but a, probably a quick mat-based match. Yeah, this was definitely not. Uh, this was a junior heavyweight then meant that you didn't weigh 250 pounds, basically. Um, yeah. You know, so this was five minutes long. I'm sure this was a was a. Uh, Matt, you know, a Matt based match, like you were saying. Um, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I know who Mike Davis is. I'm, just, I'm not familiar with Denny Brown at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure this match was good for its time, is what I could say. Yep. So if we weren't in getting some popcorn and beer, we might have catch this match. But the next up is uh, Brian Addis. He defeated Mr. Ito. Mr. Ito, which is weird to see Mr. Ito actually wrestling. Um, he had to have been near the end of his career because he was—he had to have been pretty old by this point, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with both of these guys, but you know, they're probably uh, 
probably some pretty good map-based wrestling on for them as well. Um, up next, we have the NWA Florida Heavyweight Champion. Uh, if there ever was a champion, Jess, Jesse Barr. Uh, he defeated Mike Graham. Which, of course, the Grams are known for Florida Championship Wrestling because Eddie Graham it was pretty much the biggest promoter during Florida yep. Championship Wrestling at this time and Mike Graham's his son. Exactly. So, you know, that makes perfect sense when we know what we know about wrestling. Yes, and to let you guys know, this episode is going to have um, a couple hard stories to talk about. Some depths on this episode that we have to talk about. Because that's going to happen during this time. Um, and this one kind of starts it off because if you guys, if you guys not sure or don't know, the, um, the Mike Graham and Eddie Graham story, um, later on in their life, they both actually committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Which is really sad. Um, so obviously this is before that time. But that is a history on them as well. Um, but the next match we have the Assassins and Buzz Taylor. What a, what a great name for a re- Buzz Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect wrestling name. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, especially during this era. Buzz, Buzz Taylor, Taylor better have some lightning. He better have some lightning trunks and some mullets. <laughs> and he better wear a fanny pack to the gym. Yeah, there's no picture of him here, so I don't know what he. I don't know Buzz Tyler, and I don't know what he looks like. But he's from Spartanburg, though. So I hope I don't like butcher their opponent's name, but they defeated oh, the the, Zam, <laughs> the Zamboe Express. I guess that's good enough. I, yeah, the Zamboe Express. The Zamboe Express. Eli yeah. Akim and Kareem Muhammad with one of my favorite managers during this time, the one and only Paul Jones, brother. Yeah. Yep. And a tag team elimination match. I'm not really I'm too familiar with the Zambui Express. I am not at all familiar with Zambui Express. They must have. So this, in my wrestling um, history, this would have been like right before I probably started watching wrestling. This is probably right before I discovered wrestling. Or at least before I was like really old enough to like really pay attention to it. Yeah. Um, because I mean, when we get later on in the card, I'm going to know a lot of these guys, these are these guys. I don't know at all. They could have also been from Florida, uh, the, from NWA, Florida, which I would have never have seen that anyway. So that, that could be, these early matches could all have been from NWA, Florida wrestlers too, as well. I yeah. Cause we were, that, but that's possible. Cause on a couple other shows we were talking about a lot of times besides the WWF, sometimes the WWF had like some people from new Japan on their shows. But a lot of time, like especially during this era, Jim Crockett promotion um, was trying to, you know, grab up a lot of people from Florida, um, you know, a couple different promotions, Bill Watts promotion as well, too. So we're seeing a lot of that happen uh, during this time of them, you know, bringing in some new wrestlers from different territories to, you know, build up the roster and build up a little bit more excitement for the bigger shows. Yeah, because this would have been the biggest show of the year, probably. Yes. This would have been like... Um... Well, I would have, I would compare it today to wrestle to New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom, but for American wrestling fans, I guess it would be like their version of WrestleMania. Yes, it's kind of like the uh, the pre- precursor to WrestleMania for when it comes yeah. to big wrestling cards with Starcade. And it's weird too because later on in WCW history, um, they actually counted Halloween Havoc as their biggest show. But but all the it, true wrestling fans always like Starcade as the biggest show more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So up next, we have Manny Fernandez. 
he defeated Black Bart with another great manager, James J.J. Uh, Dillon. And to win the Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship, John, would you ever, <laughs> what is the history of the, <laughs> the Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship? This had to be a shoot, brother. <laughs> it had to be a shoot. This is going to be my question for you: Is like, why do we not have a brass knuckles championship now? Like, we should, like, we should totally have that. Like, well, AEW should have a brass knuckles championship, and Cody should be its champion. Well, let's see. Um, so we have but, nowadays we have the digital media championship. I think Impact does that one. Yeah, yeah. We have Zack yeah. Ryder's, uh, or we have Zack Ryder's internet championship one. But like, you know what? This this would be great for like. Um, blood sport, you know, when they do the, the Joss Barnett blood sport, <laughs> fucking just bring back the brass knuckles heavyweight championship, brother. Get that thing going. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to look at the history of this. I don't think this was defended too, too, too often. Ron Bass had the longest reign though at 343 days, probably because nobody wanted to, uh, take part in a brass knuckles yeah. championship match. This, this does um, seem like a title that would be like great for ECW too. Yeah. Oh yeah. True. It was defended six times. Oh, okay. So uh, it looks like here that uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was defended. Black Bart won it uh, in 1984. And then he held it again later. And then our boy Ron Bass won it. Ooh, Ron Bass. Ron Amanda. Bass won it January 17th, 1986. And then uh, that December it was deactivated. And I wonder why. Uh, was it like right but, after this card? No, it lasted two more years. Wow, okay. Um, but it was, yeah, Ron Bass won it in 1986 in January, and then in December, uh, the day after Christmas, it was a deactivated championship. Well, there you go. That, that kind of reminds me of the uh, FTW title. Like, they deactivated, maybe it'll make a comeback, you never know. But Maybe. So we have a very interesting match as well. Uh, up next, we have Paul Jones, a manager... He defeated Jimmy Valiant in a tuxedo street fight. Loser leaves town match, brother. Yeah. That's, is there enough gimmicks in this? Uh, that's definitely a, a great gimmick. Um, <laughs> so I think I, I think I kind of remember this. This is when Jimmy Valiant was uh, feuding a lot with Paul Jones and Paul Jones' stable. And I guess mm -hmm. during this time, this is probably just when Jimmy Valiant's uh, contract was going up. And he's probably just maybe got into like a contract dispute. You know, it's always something with these wrestlers. He's going to be creative for cash. And then he probably just went on to a different territory. So that's the only thing I could see why this is happening. Just, you know, sometimes when, um, for our non-wrestler audience, sometimes when wrestlers are, are going to be leaving or they, you know, they know they're going to be leaving. The company knows the wrestlers are going to be leaving. A lot of the times, especially back in the day, the wrestlers would put over different acts on their way out. Because they would put over a certain amount of, you know, a person or a champion or a newcomer coming up. And then they would just go to another territory and just, they can even be the top person in that territory. Because a lot of times, you know, like during this era, we didn't have everything on the internet. You know, this is either you're going to watch it live or you can maybe get a tape by tape trading. So it was a little easier back in the day to lose a lot and then go to a narrow territory and be like a monster during that time. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just how the business works. You, you know, you put, every, you put the the next top people over on your way out always even today that's how it works yes uh, unless you're hulk hogan uh, anyway so uh, unless you're hulk hogan yes exactly 
so up next, we have the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion, our boy Ron Bass. Ron Bass makes a return to Retro Blood. Makes a return, boy. He yeah, He's probably going to be a stable here on Retro Blood for a while. Mm-hmm. But Ron Bass, because he's just everywhere around the 80s. And his manager at this time was J.J. Dillon. Yep. And he defeated Dick Slater. Dick Slater. By disqualification. You have any great Dick Slater stories? Uh, great ones? No. Um, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, he stabbed his girlfriend. Well, there you go. That's a story. In 2004, that's a story. I mean, that's, you know, that's. I guess that's a great story, right? I mean, you know. And there you go. Um, Did he do it by disqualification? <laughs> I think he lost by dis- that match by disqualification, yes. Um, but yeah, he was, uh, he stabbed his girlfriend and, or his former, his uh, ex-girlfriend, I guess, and was sentenced to house arrest, which uh, I didn't know could happen. You can stab somebody and not go to jail. Well, maybe he had a good lawyer. Probably. He probably had a good lawyer. So up next, we have a great team. Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff, the wrestling sickle. Wrestling sickle. He, they defeated Ole Anderson and Keith Larson. Um, so I know Ole Anderson obviously is part of the, you know, part of the four horsemen with his taxi partner, Arn Anderson. Mm-hmm. But during this time, he's teaming up with Keith, L- Keith Larson. I'm not too familiar with Keith Larson. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Keith Larson. I know that he was, um, I know about Keith Larson from hearing Ar- Arn Anderson tell stories about meeting Ole. And then he was, um, I guess they were like, um, um, how how to describe this? They were I want to I don't want to say they were Norwegian, but they both they were both like Scandinavian wrestlers from the Midwest, or supposedly they were. That was their that was their gimmick. But um, but they were a pretty um, definitely a pretty tough, competent tag team uh, during this time for sure. And they um, gave him a lot of time at this match too. Almost like fifteen yeah, and a half minutes. Fifteen minutes, and then Nikita must have been. This must have been pretty early in Nikita's career. Yeah. Um, you know, Ivan and Nikita, and Ivan was a little bit older, I think. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this would have been like the Andersons before the Andersons is what I would say about this, I guess. Yep. Yeah, definitely a great um, duo of Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff. Definitely uh, something to see if you guys haven't seen them wrestle before. They're pretty, they're pretty awesome. And, of course, we have to keep the tradition of since they're Russian, they're evil. Right. Yeah, if they're Russian, if they're foreign, they're evil. So up next, so the next part of this card is like jam-packed. Like this is where you paid your money. This is where you got up, drank your beer, got your turkey in you, and you're ready to see some great wrestling. Because this is like three stacked back-to-back matches. So we have Mm -hmm. the NWA World Television Champion, Tully Blanchard. He defeated Ricky Steamboat to retain the title, and he won $10,000 while doing it. Yeah, there was a, oh, we didn't mention that. There's a lot of money being given away during this this show. Yeah, this is like supposedly. the this is actually like you know when you win you get a good purse during this uh, particular card. And yeah. that, so this match is probably pretty awesome. You know, Tully Blanchard is one of the best wrestlers during this time. Ricky Steamboat, I mean, obviously one of the best wrestlers during this time as well. Uh, oh, yeah. of all time, yeah, of for all sure. time, yeah, especially. And then you know the television champion, um, you know, was kind of like the third belt that Crockett Promotions had, but it is one of the best belts that they had because they always had really good matches. You know, Arn Anderson is probably 
really well known to be a really good television champion. Tully Blanchard's a really good television champion. They even had Steve Austin later on being a television champion. So this 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 belt meant, meant a lot. You know, later on in WCW, it didn't mean shit. I think Scott Hall threw it in the trash. But before then, <laughs> <laughs> but before then, this is like a hot title. Like this is like kind of how we see the uh, TNT Championship now. They always put it on like a like kind of a hot new great wrestler during this time. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I was going to say this is like the AEW's TNT Championship. Um, but so I, let me ask you a question about this, James. So uh, my understanding was that originally the television championship was so named because it was supposed to be defended on television. Yes. Do you, have you, so if that's the case, like, and now obviously that would be different because we don't defend titles on, te- on television anymore and not in the WWE, but yeah. only on pay-per-view, brother. But if yeah. we, but here we're having a special show that pay-per-view didn't exist yet, but it's a closed circuit show and it's being, um, it's being defended here. So, I mean, I guess, even back then, they didn't really stick to the whole like it's only defended on the t- on the TV show thing. No, not really. I mean, it just like it just you know if it's a big match with a big person, they want to put it on you know as much eyeballs as going to watch it. Uh, I pretty much you know to my understanding, like the World Television Championship was just like a a kind of like a, a, a kind of a gimmick to use on TV to have a lot of like time limit draws. You know, true. Yeah, good point. But you know, obviously with that you're going to have really good matches and then later on you're just going to have good feuds. So you just build around it and then you just put it on pay-per-view kind of like how a lot of the times when we watch AEW, the TNT championship is going to be defended on a pay-per-view. Yeah, so true. It's just one of those things. It just named after it. And then later on it just builds uh, prestige and then you want to fight on a big card with it. So but check out this next match. This is a, a great match um, also, too. It went kind of short, though, for my liking, but it, it, it it's a pretty good one. And um, We talked about these both guys on the Retro Blood 2 in the archives. Check it out. Uh, NWA United States Heavyweight Champion Wahoo McDaniel. He defeated Billy Graham in about yeah, like this, under four minutes. This, yeah, I mean, this match was really short. Um I wish I had watched this match before the show because I, I wonder why it went so short. Um, but yeah, I mean, this would have been a really, really good match, though. I mean, I mean could, both these guys are just intense. They could have been pressed for time. You know, maybe our boy Nikita was just taking too much time. You know, getting his chin locking. Exactly. Uh, yeah, maybe that. Maybe that uh, Anderson versus Koloff's match went too long, and they're like. Wow, well, you got to cut your match, brother. Yep. You only got four minutes. Yeah, four minutes, man. But I bet it was a pretty good match. Maybe if I could find it, I'll put it up on the Facebook. Uh, but next match, this is a main event anywhere in the country. This is a main event that people will be selling out any arena for. And I'm pretty sure this is something that during this time, too, we got to talk about, you know, the traffic. during To get into this arena, I heard it was just like, crazy like it'd be jam-packed all throughout the interst- interstate oh yeah yeah and back then like there wasn't like the kind of uh um interstate system that they have now it was much smaller i mean north carolina was a much smaller it wasn't a, well i mean it was a, like the towns even the big towns were smaller like they had smaller populations and then they don't normally have um 20, people trying to get into one building at one time like they did for starcades but um, the 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 road in front of the Coliseum was basically just a two lane road. It had a lane going one way and a lane going the other way, and then that was it. 
So, like, um, they would get so popular, like, I think by 85 or 86, I think it was 86, they, um, the Starcade would get so big that um, the radio stations and the police and people were telling people not to come to Greensboro. Like, you just couldn't get into Greensboro because so many people were on Thanksgiving night because so many people were trying to get into uh, to Starcade. I mean, that's crazy to think that a wrestling show would shut down an entire city. Yeah, pretty amazing. And I can see why, because check out this match. NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defeated Dusty Rhodes to retain the title and win $1 million. Yep. So, and it was uh, Joe, Smoking Joe Frazier was the referee, the famous boxer. There you go. Um, but yeah, so, but, and another reason people would do that, though, is because this is the only place you're going to see this. Yes. Like, if you didn't buy a ticket and come to Greensboro to see Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes, you weren't going to see it because there was no pay-per-view. It wasn't going to be on television. This was the only time and only place you would ever be able to see something like this. And if you missed it, you missed it. Yeah, you got it. I mean, you might not be able to see it on a closed circuit, but, you know, most of the time, you know, if somebody was even around closed circuit to watch it, was closed circuit was you would go to the theater and watch it. Yeah, that, I think that's how closed circuit worked. I've never seen anything closed circuit because that was really before my time. But my understanding was that it was like, I don't know, I guess beamed by satellite maybe. I'm not sure how it worked. But yeah, you would go to a movie theater or something like that. And then they would show um, like the show, you know, and it was being uh, transmitted via closed circuit TV to this uh, building that you're in and you're watching it on a screen of some kind. Which I assume was a projection screen, but you know, but I'm not really sure. I'm sure it wasn't a television. So yeah, I'm sure it was a it was a projection screen, and you were just watching it. So that was the only way to see this. Yeah, pretty. To wild. find a place that had that, to find a place that had closed circuit. If you lived in a small town, you just didn't see this. If you didn't go to Greensboro, I'm sure closed circuit was only for big towns. Yeah. So we've been uh, back in the day. We've been fighting in the Trans Am of this crowd to see this car because we would definitely be getting in there. Oh yeah, yeah. We'd be like, "Look, mom, we got to leave. Yeah. We got to have Thanksgiving dinner early because we got to get to Greensboro yeah. early so we can get to this uh, Ric Flair Dusty Rhodes car to see uh, one of those guys win a million dollars." Yeah, and I'm sure that was a, I'm sure that was a shoot million dollars too, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's Ric Flair. He probably like, listen, you're gonna pay me that million dollars if you advertised it. <laughs> I bet know, a million dollars in 1984 was a lot of fucking money. Though. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's definitely I mean, going to be a know, couple airplane trips around the world with that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money now, obviously, I mean, for regular people. But, I mean, you know, back then, you know, I'm sure a million dollars was probably, I, I mean, that was just an astounding fortune at the time. You got it. Yeah, we'd be uh, packing up the turkey, packing up the the uh, candy yams, and asking for some cranberry sauce, and we'd be on our way. It's not cranberry sauce. It's not cranberry sauce. All right, so let's transition to... The metal scene during uh, November of 1984. Um, so first, I'm going to go into this card, this uh, metal sh- card show that was happening during this time, and then I'm going to transition to a story that didn't happen in November, but it happened literally a month afterwards in December. But it all kind of like ties together in the world of rock and roll. So first, we have kind of more of the metal side talk because. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing back some more glam bands to be talked about. But before I do, and I start getting on to Allison, talk about all these glam bands, we are going to talk about some metal. 
So check out this Sweet. card. Check out this card I found. This was in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, at the Lamar, uh, I guess, arena, uh, bar, whatever it was. Kind of like I guess anywhere they would play music. I guess it's called Lamar's. Yeah, it was. It was a club. Lamar's. It was. A, yeah, it was a club. Oh, it was Lamar's. Yeah. Okay, I'll say yeah. Lamar's. Like what the. <laughs> Lamar's nightclub. Yeah, it was a pretty small venue. Yeah. So we had so during this time, um, we had like a battle of the bands. So it was kind of like a like a, a couple nights uh, show where they, each night they would have a new band playing. And so on November 9th, nineteen eighty four, at, at uh, Lamar's, we have returning to the retro blood again. Almost like every episode, we have Merciful Fate headline. Oh yeah, and King they, Diamond, brother. King Diamond is back on here, and of course, Mercy will fade out this time. Huge band, you know, rocking it out. Um, and they were playing with a band called Sneak Attack. Have you ever heard Sneak Attack before? I have not. What do they sound like? Um, they they mostly just say a pretty good thrash style band. Um, I didn't wow. get to hear too much of them. Uh, but apparently they were like just the opening act for Merciful Fate. Uh, during this time, so I mean, what a pretty pretty crazy show to go to, you know. And I and I bet like this this arena is uh, pretty wild. But like, check this out. The day after Merciful Fate played, November 9th, we have Slayer came on, and they were touring with the band called Beast during this time. Yeah, so that was the next day. That was the very next day. So imagine getting <laughs> tickets to Merciful Fate, and then the very next day going to Slayer. Right in the same venue, you just see them one night after the other. That would have been. That would have been crazy. I mean, that'd been amazing, amazing thing to see. It would be, and then later on, this is this is just one month right here. Okay, later on on November sixteenth, we have Executioner. Have you ever heard them? I have heard of them. I'm not real familiar with them though. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with them. And then on Wednesday, November twenty first, White Lion. Oh yes, White Lion. I'll probably skip that show. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a big White Lion fan? I'm not a big White Lion fan, no. I uh, I can't uh I can't really uh think of any White Lion songs off the top of my head. I'm I know who they are, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um well, I'm sure, I probably wiped them from my memory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the uh tight pants, the zebras and the hair was flowing that night. No, oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. Speaking of tight pants and bandanas and hair flowing, we have a band that we're going to talk a lot about during this history seg- segment, uh, Hanoi Rocks. Have you ever heard of them before? Hell yeah, I love Hanoi Rocks. So they're a great band. They're actually a uh, Finnish um, hair glam band, which is probably like I'm guessing like the first glam band from like one of the biggest bands from Finland during this time. They're like the really breakout stars uh, during this time, and they played at this arena on Friday, November twenty third. And this is actually their first, uh, one of their first venues and their first tour of America during this time. And of course, they were followed uh, by the next day by a band called Wendy O. Williams. You ever heard them? Uh, is it Wendy Wendy O. Williams? Wasn't she in the Plasmatics? I guess. I'm not too um, familiar with them. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Wendy Wendy Williams, I think, was in the Plasmatics. Let me look that up while we're talking about this. Yeah, when we're talking um, about it, I want to um, touch a little bit more on Henry Rocks because this is very... Um, this is a pretty crazy story during this particular time. Yeah, we should, uh, we should, yeah, we should definitely talk more about Hanoi Rocks than Wendy Williams. Yeah, but yeah, she was in the Plasmatics, and I guess this was a solo show she was doing. 
So in November of 1984, Henry Rocks, they released uh, a track called Don't You Ever Leave and Oil and Gasoline. So at this time, that, that, those tracks and that album, they sold over like 200,000 copies. Yeah. All right. Most of them in the U- U.S. during this time. So this is like when we're getting like a, like a foreign band, you know, really getting popular, really getting steam during this time in the United States. And that's why they were able to come and um, play over here. And one of the first bands that they were playing with was none other than Motley Crue. So, they were really good friends with Motley Crue. Yes, very good friends with Motley Crue. And I mean, to be honest with you, like you know, these they're not these bands are not like thrash and everything, but this is like this is where the chicks are at. This is where the party's happening at. These guys are just rocking it out. I mean, Motley Crue is a really good brand during this time. Like they were getting a lot of good steam uh, during this time. So yeah, this is definitely yeah. be a really fun show to go to. Like you know, the beer's flowing, everybody's just having a good time. So um so. Basically, what happened was on December eighth, um, almost like almost to the day, like a month after Silent Night, Deadly Night dropped, uh, Henry Rock's band member uh, Michael Moore, he was uh, he was like recuperating from a, a fractured ankle that he happened on the tour. All right, so since he had that fractured ankle, they couldn't really play. So what they were doing there at the time, they were just um, partying. They're just hanging out with their friends in Motley Crue at this time and they're at the lead singers uh, Vincent Neal's house all right so they're all just like rocking at the house probably drinking some bud risers during this time um and I guess the band members noticed that they were out of beer so in a not so good move that's uh, harmed a lot of people uh Neil and the band member Razzle who was the drummer of Henry Rocks they were both drunk and they actually went to a nearby liquor store owned by, of all people, Neil's, uh, Neil Pantera. Uh, so huh. I guess, he, yeah, he owned the liquor store. So Neil was driving and on the way back. So Neil, he's part of Motley Crue. Um, he was the, the lead singer of Motley Crue. He was the lead singer of, no, of Motley Crue, yeah. So That's on Neil. the way back, he crashed his car. And the accident was so bad that... Uh, Razzle from Henry Rocks, the drummer, he actually lost his life. And he was pronounced dead at uh, 7, 12 p.m. And he died instantly from the collision. Yeah, it was it was really sad. That story's really sad because they almost made it. Like, you know, they, yeah. they made it to the liquor store and then they got back in um, in, uh, in Vince Neal's Pantera and then they almost made it back home. Um, and then, um, then that crash happened. But... Um, there is a real, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but um, basically this almost ruined Vince Neil's life. Yes. Um, I mean, it nearly like, I mean, he, it wasn't a thing where he was like, okay, well, you know what, fuck it, whatever. You know, he, this nearly ruined his life. I mean, he, you know, he can, I don't want to say he killed his best friend, but he can definitely contributed to the, the death of, you know, one of his best friends for sure. And, you know, he, he, the, he, even in the nineties or the two thousands, he was still talking about this and getting upset about it. Like, you know, he, 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 he really has never, I don't really think has ever gotten over it. I mean, it's like, um, it's bad. It yeah. was, it was a bad situation for him. Um, so don't drink and drive kids. Yeah, exactly. Don't drink and drive. Never turns out great. Never turns, you know, this is horrible. Um, and obviously, you know, he's definitely has a uh, post traumatic syndrome. Uh, yeah. from this happening and you know the oxy is going to be one of the main 
it's, it's kind of eerie too because that's actually what we're going to be talking a lot about on this Silent Night, Dead and Night review as well. Um, a little bit different style of post-traumatic syndrome, but it's kind of eerie that that happened like literally just like a month after this film got released. Um, so pretty crazy. Also, too, the main singer, um, you know, Andy McCoy and the Tommy Lee, they actually went and go looking for Neil and Razzle, and that's when they uh, drove past the uh, the site as well and seeing Neil get handcuffed into the police car and everything. So, um, very tragic story. Um, like I said, you know, Vincent Neil, like obviously, you know just in pain and in grief uh during this whole time as well i don't think he actually got s- sent to prison during this time um no he he did go to prison he, he oh, escaped yeah, prison somehow but um yeah they uh but yeah it was it was it was actually worse for him than uh than going to prison probably with what everything he had to deal with for the rest of his life yeah and then uh henry and Brock's during this time they were still rocking together but they actually broke up um in uh, 1985 um, just, you know, just a lot of stuff going on with the drummer dying and all that, but they did do a reunion around, um, 2001 to 2007. So, uh, I think they still play every once in a while now. Now we haven't really heard a lot from them, but you know, everybody check them out. I'll probably play a video from Henry and Rocks because they were a really good, um, you know, hair band at the time, uh, very talented, um, guys as well. And of course, Molly Crew is one of the most famous bands of all time, but just a really crazy, tragic story that you know it happens too like you know we can get on to this too about you know holidays you know a lot of drinking and driving happen around the holidays a lot of people get depressed around the holidays you know like i said guys you know just you know if anybody could hear this just don't you just don't do it you know if you're, you're drinking everything get a ride get an uber you know at this time obviously there wasn't like a lot of ubers but you know just don't 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 do that you can ruin people's lives you can ruin yourself lives so mm, for sure so um but yeah Let's uh, move on a little bit from this tragic story and talk about another uh, tragic story, I guess we would say, <laughs> in its own way. Um, so Silent Night, Deadly Night 1. I mean, this movie right here is like, it's if you really look at the inner workings of this movie, it's a very sad story. But it's also a very iconic story because, so the background of this movie is very, very interesting. So this movie got released like I said, November 9th, 1984. But during this time, the producers and the uh, were, you know, we have a lot of trailers coming on TV, everything. And this trailer, when it was showing, it was mostly showing scenes of, obviously, Billy has the Santa Claus killer. So the most scenes that we see out of this movie, um, when we're we're seeing the trailer, is like Billy in his Santa Claus costume, terrorizing people, you know, saying all this stuff about how Santa's a killer and he's scary. This is the scariest time of the year. And obviously the poster, too, just shows um, a Santa hand with an axe going down a chimney. Yeah, exactly. And that was the promotional material for this movie. And because of all this promotional material going on, the PTA at this time was like getting really mad about this movie. Like they were trying to do protesting on this movie. They were trying to get it not to be released. Even after it got released, they wanted to cut it off. Um, there's this, everybody was hating on this. You know, we had the critics, uh, Cisco and Eber saying, this is like one of the worst films. It has a bad idea. What's next? The bunny killer. You know, they were just like a lot of parents and all of like, you know, conservative folks around this time were trying to stop this movie being made. Um, you know, just because of the the theme. They didn't, they didn't want kids to look at Santa Claus as a evil uh, killer coming to harm them. They wanted to look at him as some, you know, jolly fat boy bringing him presents and stuff. 
Right, which is ironic considering what the movie's actually about. Like the storyline of the movie, yes. uh, it's it, as we'll get into is ironic compared. Well, or maybe it isn't. Maybe it's not it's exactly the way you would think it would be. But, um, but yeah, Cisco Nevert never liked horror movies, so fuck those guys anyway. But yeah, um, but I, yeah. So basically, the trailer ruined this movie. Like the like everything would have been fine if the trailer hadn't run the way it was, where they showed like you know billy in his, his santa claus outfit killing people in in a trailer and they showed it during prime time too so like they showed it like when children would be able to watch it like in the middle you know on television yeah. so you know so kids were seeing it parents were getting upset but i would say that none none of the hardly any of the people that were protesting this movie actually saw it they just saw the trailer and and were outraged Yes. Yes, you got it. And it was weird, too, because another movie we're going to be reviewing um, a little later on here on the Retro Blood is Christmas Evil, which yes. actually came out in 1980 and actually mm-hmm. portrayed a killer Santa Claus. But I, I'm guessing just because of the promotion of that particular movie, Christmas Evil, it kind of went a little bit under the radar. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the, that was a point I was going to make, too, before you brought it up was that. Christmas Evil had come out a few years before, and nobody batted an eye at that. And it had the, it didn't have the same story, but it had a killer Santa Claus in it. Um, and there was a killer Santa Claus on the poster. There was a Santa Claus holding an axe on the poster, but it was just the trailer. The trailer was portrayed as, you know, they they really played up the killer Santa Claus angle, and um, you know, the the poster gimmick showed the. Uh, Santa coming out of the or going down into a chimney with a double bladed axe, and then parents just got outraged because of that. Yes, and it was the first uh, uh, they're killing Christmas. I would say, yeah, you know how every year now we have like all the, you know, the uh, religious wackos who are like talking about how Starbucks is killing Christmas. Yes, yeah. So maybe I don't know. Maybe Starbucks should make a. You know, killer Santa Claus cup. That'd be awesome. I Santa would totally Claus get that. I, I would, yeah, I would buy, I would buy Starbucks stock if they did that. That would, that'd be totally cool. That'd be freaking awesome. Yeah, with the hand, with the axe coming out there. Here, get your peppermint <laughs> mocha, brother. <laughs> that would be fantastic. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, um, so uh, another crazy stuff about this movie. So, this movie was released on November 9th, nineteen eighty four. Another movie that was released at the exact same time was. Uh, the first episode that we did of the Retro Blood and Archives, Nightmare on Elm Street, was released on the same day as this movie was, which is pretty crazy. Um, and yep. the, so, a craziest thing about this movie as well, on its opening weekend, uh, the gross of this film actually outgrossed Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it did better than Nightmare for one week. Yes, because. Sun and Night, Deadly Night, after that one week, got pulled. Like, yeah, all the protesting. For one week. It only played for one week. It got pulled out of the theaters, and it got pulled from, you know, the the actual company that released it, uh, TriStar Pictures. They pulled all the ads, and they pulled the movie from um, theaters on November 15, 1984. So. Yeah. Also, back then, movie theaters were different, too which maybe a lot of people don't re- remember or don't know about, but it was a lot easier to get a movie out of a theater back then because 
back then you didn't go to a movie theater and it have 20 screens in it. Like you, you, you know, you're, if you, if you lived in a big town, like a big city like New York, you might go to a movie theater that had like five or eight screens. But like in most towns, like your movie theater had one screen and showed one movie. Oh, and it might have two screens. You might have, you know, you might have a twin with two screens in it. And if you lived in a larger town like Greensboro, you had multiple theaters. But basically, movie theaters played a movie for a few weeks and then they got and a new movie came out and then they dropped whatever people weren't going to see anymore. So back then, you know, it was pretty easy to get a movie out of theaters because they were going to have to get rid of it anyway within a few weeks to get something new unless people were just like still coming to see it like unless it was like a star wars or something like that um but yeah so it was so a lot of so tristar pulled it but a lot of movie theaters were probably just like you know we don't want these wackos standing outside our theaters singing christmas carols <laughs> and holding up protest signs um which there's some amazing pictures of this i don't know if you found any of them or can post any of them on the facebook page but yeah, there's some them. amazing pictures of people protesting this this movie outside the theaters yeah yeah i'll post them i'll probably post it with the link to this episode as well because that's uh it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty wild to think about that you know and it's yeah it's also pretty wild to think about too like this movie came out at the exact same time as nightmare on elm street like it just it's just crazy like imagine just seeing those two back to back it just would be pretty wild yeah Um, like what if you what if your local theater was had a you had a twin theater and they were playing both those movies yeah like you could just go see one and then walk right in the other theater and see the other one and see just a classic like double header like that yeah it's just crazy to think about like just at the same time like two like classic movies like showing on the same day it's just it's mm-hmm. pretty wild um um because we don't really see that too much nowadays like sometimes we do but very rare um be- yeah. before we get into the review i also want to note um this little article that the uh, director uh barmark um what he told people magazine i thought it was pretty interesting about you know the movie getting uh, um, cut and everything, so he's like, people have taken offense at Santa being used as a, in scary content. Santa Claus is not a religious figure; he's a mythical character. Uh, he says, I don't like deliberately ride roughshod over the sensitivity, and I didn't. He didn't appreciate uh, the su- uh, the subject, so he like he didn't like mean to it just to be. Oh, this is some crazy Santa guy just killing people for no reason. Like if we actually watched the movie, you would see, you know, what why this is happening. You know, like why this guy is turning into a killer Santa. So, but you know, you know, people see it when there's just a lot of backlash that happens. So, um, so later on though, the 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 film got uh, you know released by an ind- independent distributor, Aquarius Films, in May 1985, and they replaced the ad campaign. So they made it like uh, like a different ad campaign. So they showed a little bit more, like less of Billy and the Santa Claus, and then they showed a little bit more. Of the controversy behind it like they showed a little bit more of the protesters by it like you know don't see this movie protesters don't want you to see this movie so they actually turned the protesting to their advantage to get this movie back out yeah they used the the the, the band gimmick to get it to work they uh nobody wants to nobody wants you to see this so you need to go see it kind of thing yes and another quick thing um, in, uh, for our UK friends uh, the movie was uh, submitted to get a certification from the BBFC and not only was this movie denied, but the sequel was denied as well for a long time until um, 2009. So this movie was denied since 2009 in the UK when Aerofilms eventually got it uh, passed. So with the uncut version too. So it took a little while for the UK to even get this movie. So it's pretty crazy. 
And before we get on, um, <clears throat> you know, this movie's had a DVD release with it as well, a Blu-ray release with it as well, and which is pretty crazy. Um, it had like so after this movie kind of grew a following. Um, it had a couple sequels to it. So we have like Silent Night, Dead Night Two, which we'll be doing here on the Retro Blood next week. Um, it has number three, number four, number five. A couple like number three and number four don't even have to do anything with the timeline. Um, and then we have a uh, a slightly remake that they did called Silent Night. It actually has Michael Medall in it, which is pretty wild. Um, but I heard later on in 2022, they're going to be releasing a, I guess, another version or a a re, maybe a different story, but it's going to be called Silent Night, Deadly Night. So so it's like a remake or it's like a, it's just <clears throat> a, another sequel to it? Uh, I think it's just going to be, I'm not sure if it's a remake, uh, because I think I, I think the trailer's out now, and I'll see if I can find it. I'll post it to the Facebook cre- group. Huh. But I okay. think it's I think it's called Silent Night, and I think it's just going to be a comedy. So I'm not sure if it's going to be based on the Billy um the Billy background story, or it could just be its own thing. So we'll we'll just have to see when we get some little bit more information on it. But they are making another Silent Night uh, film. Um, also, too, just a really quick thing. Um, there is a movie that happened in around the 70s called Silent Night, Bloody Night. Um, they don't have any correlation with each other. Um, but Silent Night, Bloody Night is a very uh, fascinating uh, Christmas horror movie, too. Um, so, you know, maybe one day me and the John, maybe we'll have a Retro Blood Extra or maybe a Retro Blood After Dark uh, doing some 70s movies because there are some really good uh, 70s classic movies, too, that uh, I would love to talk about. No, for sure. So, but everybody, let's get into this fantastic tale of Silent Night, Deadly Night 1. T'was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. everybody so we have arrived this is 1971 it's christmas eve and we have a family driving through some utah mountains and we already have some christmas jingle happening during this time and did you know allison did you know allison that they were just i mean they they literally played every christmas song known to man in this movie oh yeah well why wouldn't you right yeah 
like I don't know I, I don't know if they got the rights to everything or maybe they just put it in there they're just playing every especially every Santa Claus song known to man like they were showing like these hey like Santa Claus is happening guys all right and, like every song that has Santa Claus in it they play during this movie so so we, we're meeting the cast over here we have um Billy which is the what is he probably like five or six years old during this time I'd say so I'd say he's about five years old yeah and we have a baby, which is Ricky. Uh, we have the the dad, uh, Jim, and then we have the mom. Um, I didn't really catch her name. Did you? Uh, no, I can look it up, but I didn't catch her name. I don't remember what it is. But it's Christmas Eve, right? Yeah, it's Christmas they're Eve. Traveling, they're, they're traveling. They're traveling in Utah. Yeah, they're traveling in Utah, and they're going to be going visiting Jim's dad. And Jim's dad is a at the Utah mental facility. Okay. Yes. So I thought that was pretty amazing. Like when I first saw that there, so on Christmas Eve and they're having a conversation about, uh, about Santa Claus on the way. Yes. So Billy's yeah, very so excited to see. That. Yes. So this whole thing was Billy talking about Santa Claus the whole time. Like he's very excited to see Santa Claus. He wants Santa Claus to give him presents and they're just like talking all about Santa Claus. And he wants to make sure they get home before Santa Claus gets there. So yes. he can be in bed. So we're guessing, I'm probably sure, that, like, I guess they had this facility. It's probably like maybe an hour or two away from their house. Yeah, I'd say so. So they arrive at the mental hospital. And the family tries to talk to Grandpa. Okay? And Grandpa is, he just doesn't say anything. He, he's just quiet their whole time. They're trying to talk to him. And I guess the doctor is saying, like, hey, he's just been like this the whole time he's here. He doesn't cry. He doesn't talk anything. And his, you know, I'm not really sure about his medical condition. Um, but if you guys want to, can you step into my office and we can go over some of his uh, history, some of his reports. So the parents are like, okay, well, hey, Billy, you know, just watch over here at Grandpa. Billy at first is like, I don't want to be around Grandpa. He scares me. And then they go off. And then Grandpa just like kind of like snaps out of it. And then this Grandpa, like, I don't know where they found this dude, but he is, like, this guy would have scared the shit out of me if I was five years old on Christmas, too. Because yeah, this guy was great. The guy that played Grandpa was fantastic. Fucking fantastic. <laughs> he goes on, like, he's, he just going, like, hey, do you know the true story about Santa Claus, boy? He's like, yeah, I love Santa Claus. He's like, well, you better not like Santa Claus. He's like, you're going to see Santa Claus tonight. You better run, boy. You better run. For your life. And he goes, you know, he's just going on about like, you scared, ain't ya? You should be. Christmas evil is a scare. No, Christmas Eve is the scariest time of the year. Uh, Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. Have you been good, boy? Have you been good, Billy? And Billy's like, I think so, yeah. It's like, he only punishes the naughty ones. He really punishes them. What about you, boy? You been good all year? Like, he was just saying it's all kind of creepy to Billy. And basically, he scarred Billy. He made Billy believe that Billy, if he did anything naughty until when he saw Santa Claus, that Santa Claus is going to kill him. You see Santa Claus tonight? You better run, boy. You better run for your life. Of course, this gets reinforced a little bit later, but we'll get there in the story. Yeah, yeah. So basically, right now, we're planting seeds about what's about to happen. Uh, if it's just like the line where he's like, you better run for your life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. I love it. That's like one of my favorite lines. Like, just perfect. So the the family comes back in and Bill's like, Grandpa, tell me Santa Claus is going to be kill me if I'm naughty and stuff. And they're like, 
oh, Grandpa talked and stuff. Then they just um, drive on out. And then during this time, like, Billy's telling them in the car, you know, like, hey, Grandpa, tell me if, like, you know, Santa Claus, he's going to come after me if I'm naughty and everything. And then the parents are like, oh, Grandpa talked and stuff. And then uh, the mom is just like, yeah, I guess he did. Um, and, and she's like, you know, acting like, yeah, Grandpa probably really did tell Billy about these crazy things that was going on. So during this, we see a, a Santa Claus. He walks into a convenience store. All right. And he's and the convenience store, they're just going back and forth. Um, you know, I guess he's trying to buy something. And then eventually uh, Santa Claus pulls a gun out on this clerk. And the clerk's like, really? What's going on here? And then uh, and then the clerk's going for his gun. And Santa shoots him. He shoots him like two times. Plus, he shoots him in the head, too. And like for like 1984, like this effect was pretty wild. Like it looked, it looked pretty realistic. Yeah, it looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. And then the Santa Claus, you know, he comes out out of the thing. And after all this money, he's like 31 bucks. Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Classic line. Classic, Classic line. line. So then he gets into his red car and he drives off. Uh, during this time too, we get more interaction. The mom is going off about Grandpa, like saying all this naughty stuff about him. And then Billy's like, hey, you shouldn't say that about old people. Santa might come get you because you're naughty. And they drive on a little bit. And then this th- this scene is fucked up. Okay, this right here is a little uncomfortable. I thought it was very good. I mean, this right here. For, so, a little backstory on myself. You know, a lot of like demons, ghost stories and stuff. That stuff is cool and stuff. But it doesn't really scare me. You know what I mean? What actually scares me is like real life, like kind of like serial killers. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a little yeah, bit more yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, sure. So, this scene right here, like, I mean, it's pretty fucked up. Like, we got... It is fucked up, yeah. And this is like, it just, it's pretty pretty crazy. And so, the family, they see the Santa on the side of the road. And, you know, you're just thinking, oh, fuck it, just a Santa guy. A guy playing a Santa pie at the mall or something. He has his car break down. Like, where's the harm in that helping him out? So, they go up to him. And they're all like, hey, you know... You got you need some help over here, you know, Santa? He's like, ah, you know, guys, I've just haven't had a lot of jolly luck lately. And this motherfucker just pulls out a gun on this couple. And then Jim's like, oh shit. And like the the mom's screaming everything. They they drive off and then the Santa starts shooting at the car and he eventually gets the dad right in the forehead. And the fucking car just like splits onto the side of the road. The dad just falls out with a fucking gunshot in his head. This like Billy runs out of the car. Like he's running for life because he's like, oh shit, my parents have been naughty. I got to hide from the Santa. Yeah, because that's what his uh, grandfather told him, right? He's like, run for your life. So he does. Yeah, he does. And he goes, hide, goes and hides in the woods. Is the is the baby in the car the whole time? Yeah, the baby is Ricky. in the car. Ricky is in the car the whole time just like crying. All right. And then uh, the, the killer Santa grabs the mom, puts her on her floor, opens up her chest and shit. She's screaming and stuff. He eventually just gets a, a fucking knife and just cuts her throat. And I was like, oh, fucking it. Billy, he's watching this whole thing. He watched his dad come out of the car dead. Now he's watching his mom getting um, slammed on the floor and cut in the throat and everything. And then after that, the Santa's looking for Billy. He's like, where are you, boy? Where are you, little brat? So pretty, I mean, and this happened all like in the first, like, what, 10, 20 minutes? Of the maybe maybe not even that much. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say 10 minutes, yeah. And uh, so this is so now we're reinforcing uh, Billy's uh, fear of Santa Claus that his grandfather gave him. Yeah. So it's obvious now that Santa Claus does kill people. So now he's terrified, even more of Santa Claus. Exactly. And then during this whole time, you know, the the baby Ricky is in the car. So 
now we're jumping. Uh, we're in uh, a couple years later. We're in December 1974. And we're at St. Mary's Home for Orphan Kids. Yep. All right. We see a, a little bit older Billy. Um, he has drawn a picture because everybody's so it's around Christmas Eve or Christmas time during this um, particular time as well. Uh, Billy, he has drawn a picture and some girl like some other little girl gets offended by it and he gets sent to uh, Mother Superior's office. So Mother Superior is a what is like a super nun, I guess the the head. Yeah, she's she's like the head nun, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Of the orphanage. And she's getting on to Billy like, why are you doing this naughty shit? Why are you drawing these pictures and stuff? This, this, is, this is not good behavior, Billy. What's going on with you, Billy? And so we have this other nun. Um, and this is I'm going to call her the nice nun during this time. And the nice nun is like, hey, you know, don't get on to Billy too much. Like he remembers like what happened to his family a couple years ago and stuff. And he's probably just like, you know, every time it's around Christmas time, he just starts acting funny. And then Mother Superior's like, you know, like, no, like, I will fix him. You know, if I just use my tactics, uh, we will help him. It will help him uh, suppress his memory of what's going on over here. So Yes, which uh, always works, right? Yes. So her, so basically, we're seeing that Mother Superior, her form of, uh, treatment is to scare and punish the kid for him to just forget what happened and just be a nice person all year round, which doesn't really work out that way. So Mother Superior exactly. sends she she sends Billy to his room and he is not to leave his room for whatever reason. So we get the the nice nun coming over there. So the nice nun's kind of like a little younger than the older nun. So she comes to Billy's room and is like, "Hey Billy, I think you should play outside with the kids, you know, like." You know, maybe have more interaction. So she's she is really trying to help Billy. Like she doesn't want Billy to to be you know have this suppressed memory. She thinks Billy really needs some help. But Mother Superior is stopping that help because she's the one that wants to help Billy and on her own ways. The other nun kind of wants to send Billy off to like a treatment center to help him out with these suppressed memories that he has. Right. So during this, um, we get outside and Billy's playing around with some kids. Uh, some of the kids are making fun of Billy. Uh, Ricky. Is a little older too, and Ricky is defending his brother during this time. We're we're doing some more Easter eggs for later on, and during this time we have like a little bit a little bit of a uh, well, actually during this time too. Before Billy went outside, <laughs> he's walking around the orphanages, and we we're hearing some. You know, yeah, before he goes outside, yeah, before he goes outside, he's walking around the hallways of the orphanage, and he and he hears he hears weird noises. He doesn't know what they are. Yes, he doesn't know what these noises are. So then he peeks in a room. And we see uh, a little young couple uh, trying to get their Christmas joy on, if you know what I mean. All right? And Billy's peeking. Like, he sees some grabbing and everything. And then later on, we see, like, fucking Mother Superior just storming the room. It's just like, you two, naughty. Naughty, you guys have just been so naughty. And he starts whipping those kids. And then Billy's like, oh, shit. They're being naughty. They're being whipped and everything. And that's when Billy goes outside, gets into a little scuffle with the kids. Mother Superior comes up to Billy saying, Billy, what did you see in there? And he's like, oh, I didn't see anything. He said, do you know what they were doing, Billy? And she's like, he's like, no, I'm not really sure. He's like, good, because they were being very naughty. And if you're naughty, Billy, you have to be punished. You got to be punished severely for being very naughty. So 
So we're starting to get some uh, seeds planted of Billy in his mind if somebody does something naughty around Christmas time that they need to be punished. Uh, not only just punished, like you go going to your room, but they need to be physically punished during this. They time. need to be yes, yeah. Every, yeah, around Christmas time, if you do something naughty, you have to be punished, or else Santa will kill you. Yes, so and that's then, where his that's where Billy's at right now. Yes, and so since Billy left his room because the nice nun said he could, he goes up, up uh, upstairs and the nun starts whipping him for being naughty because he left his room. So after this, after Billy gets whipped and everything, he is having some nightmares about flashbacks of what happened on the night that his parents got murdered. So we're seeing some more... Like, this kid is not getting any help at all. Like, he is just... His, it, it, this is no help. Like, the mun's not helping him. He just... He has all this trauma in him right now that he, he, he doesn't know how to deal with it. So he starts, you know, freaking out a little bit, and it's just a very tough time for him during this time. Um, so when he does this, he actually runs again into Mother Superior, and this is when Mother Superior actually ties up Billy. So how do we help a kid that's going through traumatic experience? Well, we'll just tie him up and keep him tied up the whole night. Yeah, we just tie him to a bed because that, that obviously helps trauma. Yes. So at this time, we're seeing like not only did this killer Santa traumatize Billy, but now we have a a kind of like a family figure in his way now because he's in his orphanage traumatizing him as well. So you're starting to feel really bad for this Billy character. You're starting to feel really bad, you know, kind of getting like, you know, like this kid just can't catch, catch a break. So we get a scene of all the kids Christmas Eve time. Um, they're all opening up their presents and stuff, and Mother Superior tells Billy, "Hey, you know, go find your present, and you better be not, you know, better be a nice kid. I don't want you to be any naughty. If you're not naughty, you'll get these presents." And then later on, we get the nice nun and Mother Superior talking to each other, and Mother Superior's like, "Listen, the way I can help Billy out is I'm gonna have the Santa Claus over here, and I'm gonna put Billy onto Santa Claus's lap because if we just force him to be uh, liking Santa, he'll be fine." So that's her plan. Her plan is to like not ease him into Santa. She's just going to put him on his leg and force him to like Santa. Even though there's some trauma that she already knows about. So we get Billy on the Santa's lap. And fucking Billy, I don't know. This motherfucker must have like some colossus strength. Because he knocked the fuck out of this Santa. Yep, so he starts freaking out. On, he's sitting on Santa's lap. And then he's freaking out because he's terrified of Santa. Because Santa kills people. And... He just cold cocks Santa and knocks him out. But like he knocked that motherfucker out good. <laughs> I was like, damn. Like he knocked him off of the chair. Yeah. And then Santa's like, what the hell's wrong with that kid? <laughs> and then of course Billy is scared as shit during this time, so he runs up to his room. He's all like, I didn't mean to be naughty. I didn't mean to be naughty. Then you see Mother Superior come in, and then we we jump ten years. Uh, after so we jump this. another ten years. So now it's nineteen eighty four. Yep, nineteen eighty four during springtime, and. I don't know if you caught this, John, but the fucking... So, I love this scene. So, the nun comes in. We see the nun at this, like, toy store. All right? And they had some gems. Did you see some of these toys that were there? We had some Hell, yeah. I was going to bring that up. Like, yeah. there's... Like, I was like... When I when I, when I I saw that they, that they were... She was walking into a toy store. I was like, I wonder what this will be like. But they had some... They did have some gem toys in there, for sure. Yeah. The ones I caught were like the He-Man ones, the old school He-Man ones. I think they had some old school like um, Star Wars ones. I think some. Yeah, they had some really classic Star Wars stuff that was in there. 
that was just amazing. Like, it's just weird to see that. Like, you know, and it looked like a real toy store. Like, yeah. I can remember being a little kid going into a toy store, and that's basically what a toy store at that time looked like. Yeah. You know, just shelves, and, you know, they had, like, toys, you know, on the shelves. And, you know, you had your Star Wars section, and you went over there, and you looked at all the Star Wars toys. Yeah. It kind of looked like a, like a mini, it's kind of like a mom and pop sh- shop, like a mo- mom and pop, like, toy store, but with some, yeah. like, higher end toys mixed in with some, like, Christmas style toys and decorations as well. Right. So the owner of the shop is Mr. Simons. And uh, the nun, the nice nun from 10 years ago has come up and she's like, hey, um, I got the, like, this boy. He's, uh, you know, he's a big he's a big boy and he can help you out with the shop. And at first, Mr. Simons like, I don't need any help. I don't want no boy working around here. But then he gets a look at Billy and Billy is like this like GQ fucking <laughs> 80s model dude. <laughs> So, like, I didn't understand this whole, uh, I mean, I don't understand this whole scenario. So He worked so like, out, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Right, it did work out. But, like, so, like, you know, you don't see Billy at first. You see the nun talking to Mr. Simons. And she's like, she's like, yeah, I've got this boy that needs a, needs a job. And, like, then they have that little argument about how he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't need a boy. He's like, I only have one job, and it's in the stock room, and it's for a man, not a boy. Yeah. But then they have to have this whole like back and forth for a little bit about how she thinks Billy can do the job. And then he meets Billy and then Billy's like this big, you know, strapping lad who is huge <laughs> and, and totally, you know, he's, he's jacked yeah. for some reason. And, um, you know, you could have just, you, you know, you would just think that going into this, you're going to be like, yeah, he's like, I got this guy, Billy, he's 18 or whatever, you know, he needs a job. And that would have been the end of this conversation instead of the back and forth about the boy that needs help or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) So this part is awesome. We have a country song montage of Billy working in the toy store, meeting up with some of his coworkers like Pam. And like, did you catch this song? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. It was like we we basically yeah. were seeing a bunch of montage of like Billy putting up uh, like toys and everything, talking to the lady Pam, and we hear like, on the warm <laughs> side of the door, brother, my brother's home. <laughs> and he's doing all this amazing, like amazing things. Like the the one that I that sticks out the most is the one with the little girl. Yeah, where he lifts the little girl up to the. Uh, to the uh to the shelf to get something and then he brings her back down and she <laughs> smiles real big and he smiles real big and yeah. then, then oh my she kisses God. him on the cheek <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff in my post on the facebook but this fucking montage was just like it was just it was just so funny <laughs> so um towards the end of the montage the song is still playing uh they they unreal the christmas sign they're all happy until Billy sees Santa Claus and he gets this worried look on his face. So basically, he's getting yep. triggered by Santa Claus. So those yep. those memories are coming back a little bit. So we get the store opening over here. Um, we have uh, Billy. He's he's. Uh, we could tell that Billy has a a crush on his coworker Pamela. Like they were kind of like going back and forth a little bit. We could tell like uh, Billy is kind of like digging this Pamela girl. And then next thing we know, Billy, he goes into the stock room and he runs into Andy. And this guy, fucking Andy, like, what a dick. He was all like, hey, Billy, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you're, why do you always act so fucking weird uh, during this, uh, you know, you were, you know, you were cool in the spring and everything, but now you're doing, acting like a jerk and stuff, like doing all this stuff to me. And Billy's like, listen, man, I don't want you talking naughty. And he's like, what the fuck are you ta- talking naughty? 
Like, why are you so weird, man? And then Billy's just like, listen, just like get away from me. So we're seeing some tension. Um, and then we're seeing, basically we're seeing some tension uh, with Billy now. So he's being very standoffish uh, because, you know, every time during this year, the summertime, he just gets into a different mind frame during this yep. time. Um, so now <laughs> Billy's at uh, like his home now. And now he's having visions in his head of uh, him and, and Pamela uh, getting it on. He's trying to get some of his uh, jolly jolliness uh, going on over here. He's trying to get some of that peppermint mocha. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you mean. And then, um, so he can't have a nice wet dream uh, like like our boy from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. No, he has a, a, a bad wet dream because Killer Santa comes in and starts stabbing uh, Pamela, and then of course Billy wakes up all freaked out. So we're starting to get the Christmas uh, Billy nightmares coming in right now. Yep, yep. So we have arrived at Christmas Eve during this time. Um, we're starting to see Santa's out there. The store is getting busy. Um, so we get a a story from Mister Simons is talking to um, a lady. And the lady's saying, like, hey, um, I know you guys were using one of the Santas from my agency. Uh, this Santa, he actually hurt himself um, in a skating accident, so he won't be able to show up. And Mr. Simon's kind of like, uh, you just can't find good help nowadays, can you? Like, he's like one of those kind of bosses. <laughs> <laughs> where, where have we heard that before? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Where, where would we have heard that before? Yes. So, um, and then he's kind of like, well, can you guys give me somebody else from the agency? And she's like, well, you know, these agencies, they only really have women. And, of course, you know, a woman can't really play Santa Claus. And at first, Mr. Simon's like, oh. He's like, the girl's like, if only I had a guy who was big and and, and he could be jolly and he could be fit into the Santa Claus. And then uh, Simon's is like, oh, I think I might have the guy. Maybe Billy will do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he goes in. Uh, we still see some more interaction uh, between Andy and Billy. They're just like going back and forth with each other. Like Andy's just showing like he do- he doesn't really trust Billy. He's just like he- honestly, this guy's kind of a dick. This Andy yeah, guy. I mean he's like the typical like boss who doesn't do anything. So Billy works the entire day, and and Andy sits at his desk drinking and doing different things. Yeah. So. During this time, like, uh, Annie's also going off, like, you know, Mr. Simon's going to notice that you're not doing a lot of shit in here. And then Mr. Simon's walks in, and, like, Andy kind of perks up, and then he just talks right to Billy. And he's like, hey, Billy, you know, uh, I need a favor from you. You've been doing a really good job lately and everything. Um, I'm just having a really big situation right now. Um, if you can play Santa Claus for me, that'd be great. And, of course, Billy, he's just trying to be very nice during this time because, you know, in his brain, he's like, I, I got to be nice to everybody. I can't say a bad word or do anything because it's Christmas. If I'm naughty, Santa will come kill me. So he agrees to be in the Santa co- costume, even though obviously that's not a good idea for this guy. Right. Definitely not a good idea for this guy. So we see so Billy. Now, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so now we see Billy in the Santa Claus costume. Yes. Looking terrified. Yeah, looking terrified. And like, the next scene was uh, a little funny. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we see Billy, and he's getting all these kids on him, like on his lap and stuff. We see this little girl; she's like jumping up and down. And Billy's like, "Stop it! Stop it! You're being naughty!" I'm like, "Calm down! Stop it! Stop it! I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna harm you! I'm gonna punish you if you're if you're being naughty!" And then we see the mom's like, "Man, this guy's really good with the kids." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
because <laughs> he scares this little girl to death. Yeah, he scares him. <laughs> threatening her with, with uh, punishment from Santa Claus. Yeah. And, 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 and her mom's like, wow, this guy's really good with kids. We really <laughs> always use him as Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so during this, Andy's in the back, <clears throat> and he gets a phone call. And it's the uh, the nice nun calling up and seeing how, how Billy's doing because she wants to make sure, like, she knows it's Christmas time. She wants to make sure, like, he's doing okay during this time. And then Andy spills the beans, like, yeah, he's out there taking care of all these snot-nosed brats uh, being Mr. Jolly Santa Claus over there. And then the nun's like, oh, shit. Yeah, she's like, oh, no. So <laughs> this is also a great scene, too. So Simons locks up the store. Yep, because it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. And it's seven, 7 o'clock, and it's over. Like, this is, okay, this guy, Simons, like, he was kind of like a dick, but this guy is cool. Like, I would love to work at a store because this is what he says. This is, like, at a store. Like, imagine you guys are off work. It's Christmas Eve. You're off work. He shuts down the store. This motherfucker's like, it's 7 o'clock. Let's get shit-faced. And this motherfucker just bought up a bunch of fucking liquor. <laughs> And like, underneath the register. Underneath the register. Underneath the and it's like a pretty good ratio. We got like, you know, a couple, in like only like three guys. Well, it's like three guys and two girls, I guess. But I still like, this is like a holiday party, brother. Like they didn't give a shit back in the 80s, man. You know, nowadays you can barely get any liquor or anything happen to like a company party. This motherfucker is like, listen, we're getting fucked up tonight in the in store. In the store. <laughs> so he just starts going, drinking all these shots. Um, Pam offers like Billy to drink a couple of shots as well, too. And then later on, we see Pam. She actually sneaks off with Andy. And uh, so we're, we're seeing like that, I guess, the relationship between um, Billy and Pam didn't really go anywhere. But I guess she's starting to get 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 more involved with Andy um, during this time. And, of course, we have um, Simons over there. And he's talking to like his um, other uh, assistant. And they're just like singing Christmas songs everywhere where they get drunk and stuff. So... During this time, we get Andy and Pam. They're kind of going to the back stock room. And Andy has a big surprise for Pam. And at first, Pam was kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure. He's like, hey, have I ever told you a lie before I got you this surprise over here? Uh, we get Billy interacting with Simmons. And Simmons is going like, hey, Billy. So Simmons is kind of drunk at this time. Simmons is drunk at this point. Yeah, yeah. And he's really, and he's acting like Billy is the real Santa Claus. He's like, hey, Santa Claus, you know what you should be doing tonight, right? You got a long journey ahead of you. And Billy's like, what do you mean, a long journey ahead of me? He's like, you know, you know what you know what Santa Claus does on Christmas Eve, right? You know what he does. And Billy's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I know what he does. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just now like, I am Santa Claus, so I have to do those things. Yes, I got to do those things now because I am Santa Claus. And he's going on like... Uh, you know, what are you thankful for and stuff? He's like, well, I'm just thinking about my parents. He's like, oh, how are your parents doing? Well, they're dead. It's like, oh shit! I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. like, this movie has some crazy <laughs> shit to it, like some lines. And then you know, he just goes. Simon Simmons just goes off, like, hey, you know, just be jolly, just do what Santa Claus is supposed to do. And then that's when Billy is like, okay, well, I guess I got to do this now. And then during this whole time, it's really funny too because Simmons and his assistant were singing that, like, you better watch out, you better not fly. And they said it like very creepy. Like, we have, like, yes. all these, like, creepy, like, Santa Claus and decorations and stuff. Like, this really creepy Santa Claus was going back and forth during the whole thing. And they were singing, like, this really, like, like you better watch out for Santa Claus. Like, they made it yeah, sound a, like it was very creepy. Yeah, it's a creepy-ass song, man. Like, yeah. you know, you better watch out. Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, That's he's creepy. coming for you. That's you scary. better not shout. You better not fright. I was like, oh, shit. Like, when I was hearing that, I was like, man, like, 
that's that is a pretty creepy song. You can make it like very creepy in this like uh, style way. So I thought that 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 um you know whoever you know, the person who wrote that I thought that was very clever of them. Yes. And so we find out that Andy and Pam aren't as friendly with each other as we thought. So Andy he wants some sex. Pam I think she wanted to take a little slow. Andy's like fuck it I'm getting my sex. So he is uh, he slaps her and he's making you know doing his way with her. Which is not good. This guy would definitely be called up to HR uh, yes, during this time. Sure. So Billy comes in. He sees Andy being naughty. Okay. And at first, we were led to believe, okay, well, maybe Billy is going to help out uh, Pam because, you know, he liked her and he doesn't want somebody to harm her. So we got Billy. He just So now Billy is a one-dimensional character now. He doesn't say any more lines. The only lines he has now is punish and naughty. That's what we'll be yep. talking about. So he goes up to Andy with some Christmas lights and he says, Punish. You're being naughty. Punish. And Andy's like, What the fuck? So he grabs his motherfucker with one handed. Okay. So one handed and he wrapped around his neck with a light at the same yep. time. So we're seeing like this super colossus uh, a Billy. And he freaking just chokes out Andy. And the next thing we know, Pam is like, You're fucking crazy. Uh, what the fuck, you crazy man? Get away from me! And I was at first, I was thinking like, man, what an ungrateful girl! Like he just saved you fucking from he getting just, raped. Yeah, he just saved you from getting raped. So uh, next thing you know, she's like, no, fuck this! <laughs> I want to get out of here. And then of course, Billy stops her and he says, "You've been naughty." And then he he grabs a uh, a box cutter and he fucking slices her up. Yep. And uh, from there, <laughs> Simon's like, I think I hear something. He's like, no, I, I think I definitely hear something. I'm going to go investigate what's going on. So he goes to the back room, and then he sees the two dead bodies. Uh, he freaks out a little bit. He runs, and then we see Billy, and Billy has a hammer, and he kills out our boy Simons. So Simons is gone. Uh, and then after that, we see Simons' assistant. She is calling for Simons, and she thinks uh, Simons is just hiding from her and stuff. And when she goes into the room... Uh, the stock room. She sees Simon's dead on a bunch of boxes. She starts freaking out, and then Billy is um, starting to catch her, uh, starting to um, try to catch her. And uh, <laughs> Billy is doing another song. He's like, is like, all throughout the house, no stirring, not even a mouse. I was like, man, they're using all these freaking Christmas saying has like this like crazy stalker and stuff. I thought that was like, it, to be honest, it's pretty genius. Like it is. This whole movie is genius. But yeah, yeah it's it's. It's it's yeah it's it's really it's really cool how he uses the the Christmas like uh, songs and things in a real creepy way yeah. through the whole thing through the whole movie. All right, so when he's stalking her and everything, he he thinks he he finds her because of her hat she was wearing. So this is a pretty good fake out. I got to give our girl mm-hmm. some credit. Uh, he goes and smashes that hat, but it's not her. She actually comes up behind him and pushes him away, and she tries to get out of the front door, but she realizes she doesn't have the keys on her. So she tries to go look around for the keys, and then next thing we know, fucking, I don't know where this thing came from. Uh, I, maybe it was like in this. I guess it was like a toy, but it wasn't. Billy just has a bow and arrow, and he just fucking <laughs> shoots the girl with the fucking bow and arrow, perfectly right through the heart. So apparently, yep. our boy Billy um, has some uh, archery in in him. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been st- in the past ten years. He's been studying archery and working out. Apparently, yes. Hey, you know, got to have a hobby, I guess. I guess so, yeah. So then after this, Billy grabs some keys, leaves the store, and then when he leaves, uh, just, 
almost like a couple minutes later, the nice nun comes in and she's like, oh shit. <laughs> she sees some of the dead bodies around there. Yep. So she's the Loomis of our story. Yes. Yes. She would. Yes. And, and, and Halloween <laughs> parlance, she's the Loomis of our story. And Billy is now Michael Myers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so during this time, we see some. Oh, here we go. My famous during this time. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to say that as much. I I want to be like, I don't want to use that line all the time. I want to be like, maybe, okay, how about we are here now? Is that one better? We're here. <laughs> we need just to make t-shirts that say during this time. During this time, man, that must be my, my catchphrase because I always be saying it. <laughs> so maybe, 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 maybe we can do like a holiday drinking contest that every time I say during this time, just take a shot, brother. Mm-hmm. Nobody would survive that. That's true. We like, we, we, we would we would we would kill the small audience that we have. <laughs> we fucking like, we'd be as drunk as Simon's over here. This fucking <laughs> <laughs> so this is another great scene. So we get these carolers, right? They're outside of this house. And did you see this, this one caroler? So her, good with her fucking neck. She's just like going crazy with it. Like <laughs> 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 we're inside a house. And we got our boy Jimmy and Denise. And Jimmy's just like, fuck, I can't concentrate with those fucking carolers out there. And he has this girl on the table. Uh, what was the actress name that was on the table? Oh, that's Linnea Quigley. She, yes. was in a, she was a famous scream queen. She's in a lot of 80s horror movies. She was in Night of the Demons. Yep. And uh, um, Return of the Living Dead. Is that the name of that movie? Yeah. She's in like a yeah, ton she, of movies. She's in a ton of movies. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll be seeing her a lot during a lot of reviews because she is just yes. like in almost 80s movies. And you know why most of the time she was in these movies? Because she always agreed to take her top off. Yeah, she but. was. she had no problem with nudity. As we see uh, in this very first scene that she's in. Yeah, so pretty much the whole time we see her, she has her top off. And our boy Jimmy's trying to get him some, some uh, holiday candy over there. But he can't he can't concentrate because of all of these damn carols. Damn so, carolers. So then he turns on some R&B Christmas love track. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is, this is also one of my favorite quotes from the movie and scenes. So we have, so Denise is babysitting for a young girl named Cindy. Cindy comes down saying, hey, uh, when is Santa Claus coming? Uh, And she's like, Denise, uh," I mean, she's like, Cindy, go back up your stairs. I'm trying to study down here. And Denise is like, I want to see Santa Claus. I want to know when he's coming. And then then Denise is just like, listen, if you go upstairs, if you don't go upstairs and go to sleep, Santa Claus won't come tonight. Then my boy Jimmy's like, he's not the only one. Cindy, if uh, you don't go back to bed, Santa won't come. He's not the only one. What a smooth, what a smooth guy. Not a smooth line. He's such a smooth guy. He's not the only one. He's not the only one. Eventually, uh, Cindy goes back to sleep. They start getting on a little bit, and then we start hearing some jingles, um, some you know, some jingle bells or something. And Denise is like, oh, shit. I got to go upstairs and let the cat out. And then Jimmy's like, well, can't. Shit. I may fucking got a blue balls over here. Can't we get this shit done? And then Denise's like, no, I got to go up and get the cat. And I'll just be back. And her boy Jimmy's like, damn it. What the hell's going on here, fucking cats? And then Denise goes upstairs naked. All right, no. No top on. She just goes outstairs and she opens the door. It's probably fucking. It had to be. It's snowing outside. So it had to be like 30 degrees. She, she didn't care. Yeah, she ain't going to get no jacket. She, she didn't put a shirt on. She just <laughs> put shorts on. Like, why is she wearing shorts in this kind of weather anyway? Because, John. Like, you know, c- c- uh, it's an <laughs> well, 80s we, movie. We know, the, we know the answer to that question. <laughs> but 
I, I guess uh, I guess that's a rhetorical. We're trying to get that eighteen to thirty-five male demographic <laughs> up, brother. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, and then she talked about that too when she was doing some of the reviews. Like, why the hell would I just go up and just fucking call about my shirt off? <laughs> <laughs> To open the door to yeah. let the cat in. Yeah, okay. So she calls out for the cat, and eventually the cat comes in, and then we see Billy naughty, and he just jumps right into the fucking house. <laughs> so good. It's so good. <laughs> he like breaks through the door like fucking Jason, naughty shit. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so they start fighting uh, during the whole time um, downstairs. Like they kept going back and forth, and eventually Billy, this is a pretty crazy scene. So Billy like grabs her and shit. Like he's like just picking her up in the air and everything. She's trying to fight off a little bit. Um, she's not having any kind of good luck. And then he eventually impels her in a fucking deer deer head. Yeah, on the antlers of a deer head. That was really cool. That was a yeah. cool scene. Yeah, it pretty, looked really good. It looked really good. Really creepy. Um, and also too, like when he actually put her up on that on that deer head, and he was there and he he walked off like that. That whole like scene, even though like you know it was like a little distorted scene, it looked really creepy. It looked like something you would see in like Silence of the Lamb or something. It looked yeah, really, yeah. really like creepy. Look, yeah, I, yeah, it's great. So I mean, like, there's a lot of hidden gems in this film that's just like awesome. So, <laughs> so Jimmy is down there. I guess he didn't hear anything like uh, scuffle going upstairs because like, man, what's taking her so long with this cat? So he go, <laughs> so he goes upstairs. He sees like the door all busted. He's like, "Oh shit, this ain't good." He's like calling for Denise, Denise, and then he's like walking around and he can't find anything. He eventually looks over. He's like, "Oh shit!" And then this is when Billy comes in, like naughty. And then they start going back and forth. Um, and Jimmy actually gets the upper hand a little bit on Billy at first, and then he goes for the phone, uh, the the old school uh, telephones that we have. In 1984, he tries to call up. He's like, operator, give me the police. You know, he's trying to get them, but he, he didn't get in time to get to the police. Because I guess back then you had to call the operator to even get to the police. Did yeah, not have, we, didn't have, we didn't have 911 then. Yeah, we didn't have 911 uh, emergency line then. So Billy, he takes the uh, the phone cord um, um, out and he starts choking uh, Billy with it. And then he eventually um, chokes him down. And then uh, that's it for our boy, uh, Jimmy, over there. Um, I think he, uh, <clears throat> did he like, also like uh, stab him down? Yeah, he also stabbed yep. him a couple times too. I think he stabbed him with one of those things you use in the uh, fireplace, right? Yes. I remember that thing. Like a called. fireplace poker. Yeah. yeah, like a fireplace poker, yeah. And then after this, um, Billy finds an axe and he's about to leave until Cindy comes out. And Cindy's like, oh shit, it's Santa Claus. Uh, what's going on, Santa Claus? Are you here to give me a present? And, and Billy just looks at her and is like, have you been naughty or nice? And she's like, well, I've been nice. He's like, are you sure you have been nice? And during this time, he had like a, the box cutter, that bloody box cutter. He's like about to pull it out. You think it's going to stab her. And he's just like, are you sure you have been naughty or nice? And she's like, I promise you, I promise you, Santa, I've been nice. He's like, okay, well, here you go. And he just gives her a fucking <laughs> gives her the box cutter as a present because she's been nice. Because she's been nice. <laughs> oh, fucking great. And then he leaves. And then I guess Cindy walks around and she finds the dead bodies. <laughs> and then we get a scene of this cop car. Uh, and the cop's like, can you believe we got called to find Santa on Christmas Eve? Uh, what's next? Easter, Easter killer? Buddy? Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh boy! And then um, when they're driving around, they they see a Santa uh, coming inside a house and through a window. Through a window. Through an upper window. Yeah. Yeah. And then they they stop the car. They run into the house. The 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 wife's like, "What the hell's going on over here?" They tell like, like yeah, they don't even knock on the door. They don't even knock. They, don't even they just knock goes. on the door. They just open this door uh-huh. and run in with their guns on out. Yeah, and then um, they run in. They they put the guns on to, to the kid and like freeze. And then the, and the, it's, about, it's obviously it's the family's dad. We're just trying to surprise the the child uh, to give him some presents to make it look like Santa. And the cops are like, freaking dad. <laughs> <laughs> so. Pretty crazy stuff there. Uh, yeah, it's the classic uh, uh, scene, um, like from Halloween Two, I guess, the one where the uh, other kids wearing the mask and then uh, they're chasing him. Yeah, yeah. So it's the it's the we think it's we think it's the killer, but it's not seen. Yeah, exactly. It was just a uh, a fake out scene, and then of course the cops are getting kind of frustrated because you know who 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 goes look for a Santa killer on Christmas Eve? So pretty crazy. <clears throat> so we have these two kids. Um, the only funny line of these two kids at the beginning was like, "Hey, we found some virgin snow," and the kids like, "Yeah, virgin. That's the only thing you're be getting." <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back and forth. They're about to be snowboarding, but they keep hearing like a jingle, like a. Kind of a jingle out there, and then one kid's like, "Hey, do you hear that?" He's like, "I don't hear anything, man. Let's just get going snowboarding." He's like, "I hear something," and eventually, this these other two kids come up, and the kids were named Bobby and Matt. And this guy who was named Bobby, he looked exactly like a young Bobby Eaton. Did he did. See? I noticed that too. I was like, "Oh, it's a Bobby Eaton." Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck?" Did Bobby Eaton's freaking son just like audition for this movie or something? So they eventually bullied the first two kids to give them their snowboard. And they kind of take turns snowboarding down this virgin snow. Um, so one kid, I think it was the Matt kid, he went first. And this Buck and Bobby guy, he was like, Woo, yeah, yeah, get it, but woo, yeah, yeah, get it, woo, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the? <laughs> and then he goes, Bobby goes on his turn. And this is a pretty cool scene. I mean, obviously these characters were just set up to make like this killing scene, but it was a, it was a pretty cool scene where he goes down the snowboard and Billy shows up and then fucking just chops his head off. And then yep. we get the rest of the snowboards with the Bobby's dead head coming. The Mac guy freaks out and then Bobby's head rolls down the hill too. So, yep. Yeah. We see him, we see him roll down or the sled come down the hill with his body on it with no head. Yeah. And then the head rolls down the hill. Yeah. Fan- fantastic. Classic scene. Classic scene. So we have arrived at the police station. Uh, the nice nun is now asleep, and she meets up with the detective. And she's like, "Oh, sorry, I fell asleep. Tell me the news." And the detective's like, "Oh, it's not good news. We got three. <laughs> it's not good news. <laughs> not good news. We got three more dead bodies." And she's like, "Oh shit, we gotta find him." Basically, the nun says we have to find him, and before he starts doing some more harm, and. She she realizes like I think I might know where he's going next since he has like a pattern like he she was going on like saying like listen he's been traumatized and he's taking taking it out on certain things and I think he's probably going to be heading up to the orphanage next. <clears throat> so so we're off to the orphanage. <clears throat> yeah, so we're back at the orphanages now, and we see the uh, mother superior is still alive, but she's in a wheelchair now. And we just see some kids playing around. Um, and we see we do see like a young Ricky. Um, so he, young Ricky is still there. And one kid is trying to call Santa. 
And she's like, hey, call me back, Santa. But she leaves the phone off the hook. So the the nice nun can't get a hold of the orphanage because the phone's off the hook right now. Right. And the, co- the detective cop is trying to get all available units to go to the orphanage to make sure they see a, if they see a killer Santa, kill the, the killer Santa on sight. But the uh, available um, the available units is one. Yeah, like one, they, yeah, they one guy. In yes. one car, and one car goes. So I guess the other um, guys were like, "Fuck it, I ain't going there." <laughs> and uh, I also noticed Ricky doesn't seem to be a whole lot older in this uh, in this scene. Yeah, it's supposed like, to be ten years, but he's he doesn't really look like he's he's much older than he was. He just looks like he's like Billy's age when he on, on the beginning of the movie, like five or six or something. Yeah, like he, you know, I would say, you know, it, it, he looked maybe like he's ten here, but he was like five when, uh, when we when Billy was at the orphanage or something. So I don't know; it's really weird. But anyway, we'll, we'll continue on with this uh, engrossing plot. Yes. So um, during this time, oh, there we go again. One peppermint shot during for this everybody. time. Uh, <laughs> we see the kids playing outside. We see this aggressive Santa walk up. Like this Santa had like a mission. Like he he looked like he, I I was getting pretty afraid of him too. Like this guy was walking like the Terminator up to these kids. Yeah. And Very fast. and then during this time we see a, a cop he rolls up and he at first he's like oh everything looks cool at the orphanage kids are just playing and then he sees the Santa walk up to him in the corner of his eye and he runs out of the car like free stop and the, the other the Santa's not stopping he just keeps going to the kids and then he's like he's walking st- up toward Ricky. Yeah, he's walking up to that. Ricky. That's yeah. key. That's key. Yeah. yeah or it will be key later on. Yeah, it will be. Yes. Easter eggs. Easter uh, eggs. And then the cop, just after eventually, eventually the Santa's not responding to him, he shoots him. And then we find out a little later on that this, um, you know, that we get a we get a, a, a call uh, called into the detective because the detective and the, the nice nun are heading to the orphanage and they get a call saying, Hey, we found this Santa. It got shot, and at first, it was like, okay, they found him. But it's like, well, the the problem is when we looked at the body, it didn't meet the description of what Billy yeah. looks like. He's an older man. Yes, it's actually uh, Father O'Brien was the one yeah. who got and then, shot. And then the the nun says, the nice nun says, oh, that's 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 Father O'Brien. That's our uh, that's the Santa Claus we use. Yeah, and I would have been so like, it's like, I'd be like, like, well, like, oh my god. Well, the problem is, I, I like detectives. Like, why in the fuck did you tell me that earlier? You said to go find the fucking Santa. Like, you heard and me. Say, you, yeah, you heard me saying shoot all these Santas on sight. <laughs> Maybe she forgot. <laughs> so, we see the cop in there. He's kind of apologizing right now to Mother Superior about shooting up the 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 father Santa, and the Mother Superior is basically saying that he didn't respond to you because he's deaf. Like he he's couldn't deaf, hear. yeah. So not only, so now we add more to the tragedy. So not yes, only exactly. do we kill, do we kill the the priest that we're using as a Santa Claus, who's trying to bring joy to the children, but he didn't respond because he's deaf. Yes, exactly. It's like, damn, they're just stacking up on this movie. <laughs> wow, <laughs> fucking yes. Then it just ended some jolly, uh, jolly uh, Christmas going on over here. All right. So also, too, the most superior is also saying like, hey. I'll protect the kids, just keep the kids over here. And they're kind of just going back and forth. So um, when um, Mother Superior is also talking to, um, uh, you know, some of the kids and some of the other people in the church and stuff, uh, or the orphanage, and at this time the cop that shot the uh, O'Brien, he is looking around just to make sure he's uh, scanning the perimeter. And he actually goes into a basement uh, during, um, I was about to say during this time. 
peppermint shot number three, brother. He, so, just go, he goes into the basement. Yeah, he goes to the basement, looks around and everything. This is, like, you know, when we get one of those scenes in horror movies where, you know, you're looking around. It's kind of a, 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 an environment you think he's going to be killed at any second, and eventually he doesn't. So after he, um, you know, looks around the basement, doesn't find Billy, he comes out. And, of course, Billy is right there. So it's naughty. Fucking chops this guy down with an axe. Yep. And that cop is now gone. And Billy has arrived to the orphanage. Yep. Exactly. Now Billy's at the orphanage. Just the old, uh, the killer is not in the creepy place you expect him to be, but he's he shows up when you think it's safe gimmick. Yes. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so we hear a knock at the door. And the kid, Andrew, opens the door, and he's like, oh, it's Santa. Santa's here, everybody. And, of course, Mother Superior is like, oh, shit. And, of course, it's oh, Billy. Shit. He's walking in. And she is, like, obviously a little nervous and scared of Billy. And For a good reason. For a good reason. But Mother Superior, like, is just like, there is no Santa Claus. There is no Santa Claus to, to Billy. Billy is like, naughty. You've been naughty. And then eventually when you, when you think that Billy is actually going to fucking get his revenge on this fucking nun that pretty much tortured him and made him into what he is nowadays, he was about to get his revenge on this crazy nun. No. The fucking detective shows up with the nice nun and eventually shoots down Billy. And not only that, we get a very like sad scene because Billy, after he got shot, he was saying, all you kids are safe now. Uh, everybody will be safe now because now Santa Claus is dead, so he won't be able to harm you anymore. And of course, he mm-hmm. when he dies, then we see Ricky over there, his brother, looks at him. Then he eventually looks at Mother Superior and all of them and says, naughty. And then we, we end this crazy, freaking fantastic horror Christmas movie. Now, yeah. Now I'm actually going to say this is probably my favorite Christmas movie Arguably one of the best Christmas movie or the best Christmas movie of all time. Yeah, I mean, this movie is a classic. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, this is not just a goofy horror movie. I mean, this is a classic horror film. It's it's very it's very good. Yeah, and it has so much like deep meaning into it. Like it's showing like tragedy. It's showing uh, just like pain. It's showing like what happens if you know like if you don't treat you know uh, like post. Uh, syndrome, you know, post-traumatic syndromes and stuff. It just, yeah, it just yeah. shown what what can happen if somebody actually snaps, and you know what I mean. It just, it just, it's just crazy because you could see like a story like this almost happening in this society. Yeah, yeah you really could. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous premise, but you know, it, it's stuff that does happen to people. You know, like you, you know, you could, this could, act, you know, you could, you like you said, you could literally see this happening to somebody where they're. You know, they're so traumatized by this thing, and then they become this thing that traumatizes them. It happens all the time. Yes. So, pretty fantastic movie. Um, you know, when it comes to, like, Christmas horror movies, like, I love them. Um, I think they're just so, you know, fascinating, so unique. And obviously, this one is just, like, definitely one of my favorites of all time. Like, I know if I, like, watch this during the movie theater, like, I'd just be falling in love with the whole movie. Um I don't know, like, to be honest with you, man, like, I think I would like this film almost a little bit better than the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, it's kind of like a, almost a tie to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's close. I mean, like, Nightmare on Elm Street is just such a, it was so well made. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it's, you know, and Wes Craven is just a fantastic director, but, yeah. um, 
you know, this movie, I mean, this, this movie is good. I mean, it's, it's not just silly. It's, it is, well, it is silly, but it, it's good. It's a good, good horror movie. Um, one thing too, though, you can definitely, this is another movie where you can definitely tell the influence that the first Halloween, Halloween 78 had on horror films, because it's basically the same premise. Yeah. You know, you had this terrible thing that happened years ago and then later on this person escapes from something and starts spree killing people. And then you have the one person that was trying to help them the entire time, but was never listened to trying to chase them and stop them before they killed too many people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely has the same premise as the Halloween 1970 uh, version. So, yeah, but yeah, pretty crazy. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we, we head on out of here on our first uh, Retro Blood holiday season episode? Um, I, not a lot. I mean, you should watch it. I mean, you should definitely see this movie because it's um, uh, this is this is definitely it's definitely a good it's good. It's a good movie. It's a good flick. Yes, um, this is definitely a uh, recurrence uh, holiday tradition over here at my household. Watching Silent Night, Deadly Night every year. Mm-hmm. Now, um, next week, we are going to be talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Which is way different than the first way one. Way different. So this one, well, we'll talk about it when we get there. But, uh, you know, if you guys haven't seen it and you're looking forward to number two, let's just say it's going to be very, very different uh, review. It's going to happen uh, <laughs> during that uh, podcast. So, But it's going to be fun regardless talking about it. And, of course, like we said before, the, the Sunday Night, Deadly Night series, is, they spawned a bunch of sequels. So, but to be honest with you, um, I see most of the sequels and they don't really compare to the first one. Yeah. Um, just like a lot, a lot of other type of sequels, but, um, we'll be talking about it regardless for Silent Night, Dead of Night 2 next week over here on the Retro Blood Holiday Edition. Retro Blood. So, and also too, uh, coming up on our schedule, not only do we have Silent Night, Dead of Night 2, we're also going to be talking about Blood Beat, a, uh, samurai inspired kind of Christmas movie. And of course, we're going to talk about one that we touched on a little bit earlier, 1980s Christmas Evil. So a lot of holiday joy killing sprees happening on the retro blood. But uh, I got a fun one. So usually I play like, you know, rocking bands at the end. What do you think we should play at the end of this show? Do you actually do a Henry Rock song or should I play that country song that we heard during this movie? Oh, man, that's a tough choice. I think we should play the country song. The country song? All right. So we're going to be playing the country song that me and John were going crazy over um, in the montage scene of Silent Night, Dead of Night. Everybody, I don't even know the song. I don't know the track name to this one, but uh, we're all coming home, brother, in the door for Christmas. On the light side of the door. Light side of the door. So we'll be seeing you guys soon. We'll see you here back here next week for Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. And enjoy this montage uh, toy uh, scene of country greatness. And, uh, you know, if you guys see a local Santa in your mall, uh, just remember that if you've been on the naughty list, that motherfucker's coming for you. Yep, watch out. See you later, guys. And don't forget to have some of those peppermint schnapps for your brother over here see ya I've been a long time running I've been a long time lost I can't even hope to tell you where I've been 
Oh! 